0: Just, well let's just bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father we thank you for your goodness and love and mercy to us what a privilege we have of of just growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ And Lord we realize that there's there's so much at stake here there's so much involved in this whole matter of of being what we ought to be for your glory and Lord, We see so much today where people simply live for personal happiness as though that was an end in itself rather than living for that which is right. And we would just pray that you might give us real skill in understanding the scriptures, help us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Grant to us then special time together as we minister one to the other, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I say we, Gloria and I, uh, I went last week down to uh, uh, the shepherding conference at John MacArthur's church in uh, Grace Community Church of the Valley, Panorama City. And uh, you've heard me mention John and his ministry, and uh, they began something uh, this year called Every Woman's Grace. and uh, it's similar to our program here with Workshop 31 and so on. And Gloria went through the whole program with them. And uh, uh, really, we picked up some exciting ideas of some things that we want to try next year. Uh, we're just really debating about how um, how we would conduct this and exactly how it would work and all of the rest. And I hope you really pray for us that we'll have wisdom. We want to have the best possible uh, women's program here at Valley Church. And uh, in many ways, in some ways, we're way ahead of John's church. In other ways, they've got some innovative ideas uh, that we haven't yet explored. And uh, so uh, we shared ideas back and forth, and they're going to be doing some of the things we're doing, and we're going to be doing some of the things that they're doing, and I think we're going to have an exciting time uh, as we uh, seek to minister to even more people in the community. And uh, so... Uh, we're working on some ideas and uh, hope to greatly expand our women's ministry next year. It's uh, just some exciting things that we have in mind, and we hope that the Lord will open those doors. So uh, keep it in mind. Uh, but even as we've talked to those things, it becomes imperative uh, that I finish this study this year and not carry it over for another year because. There are going to be so many opportunities for study next year uh, that uh, we want to be sure that this is cared for, which means we're really going to have to move. And I may have to cut a little bit here and there, uh, but we'll do our best in the time allotted. Again, uh, you're going to be well cared for. Uh, We will be here next week, but then the following uh, week we'll be in Scotland, and uh, you're going to be well cared for in our absence. Uh, One week you have vacation, but the other uh, three weeks... Uh, you're going to uh, have some exciting times with uh, Norm Norman Muriel Cook, and I'm sure that they're going to have something very definitive and uh, wonderful to share with you from God's Word in regard to uh, being the woman that God wants you to be. Pray for us, though, as we go to Scotland. We're most anxious just to have as many prayer warriors as possible. And uh, things are really shaping up for that time there. The Lord is really preparing hearts and blessing. been receiving correspondence regularly in the last week or so uh, from people there, uh, just sharing with us the exciting anticipation that there is for that ministry there. And then we get back on the 30th, and the 1st of May is a Thursday, and I'll be in class. I'll be here. So uh, I may be a little baggy-eyed, but I'll be here, all right? Unless the plane doesn't get here, I'll... Uh, that would be the only exception. Okay, now we began last week talking about causes of a husband's spirit reacting to a wife's spirit. And uh, what we're doing at this juncture now is sharing with you a little bit of uh, the fact that the husband shouldn't react wrongly, he should learn. Uh, but also we're, we're trying to uh, share with you some principles that will help you uh, to not make these mistakes in your relationship. And I always enjoy talking to women about these things because women are so spiritually sensitive. Uh, you you often will talk to a group of men about their responsibility and their role, and it's like batting your head against a brick wall. They, uh, they're they 're not sensitive to the little uh, spiritual things that are involved the, the little kindnesses the little thoughtfulnesses they and so often they just so nonchalantly just cast uh, uh, cast off some of these things as being unimportant i I uh, talked with a man uh, a number of uh, years ago, uh, and I, his wife was complaining that she had no uh, just no indication of. of uh, of affection from her husband and uh, I I just point blank asked the husband I said when was the last time uh, that, or or do you often tell your wife just verbalize to your wife that you love her and he said well I told her once that ought to be enough he was dead serious he told her when they were first married I love you and figured that was good for the whole marriage he didn't have to say it anymore and uh, men think that way and, of course, women don't, as you well know. And uh, so the result is that men are sometimes real difficult to break through with. And that's why they're, you know, they're slow learners. But at the same time, God works in their hearts in a marvelous way as well. But one of the things that retards the husband's ability to understand those things is when the wife, who really is more deeply uh, spiritually sensitive, does not respond the way she should. And when she is doing some negative things, it's damaging the spirit of the husband. And the result is that he's all the more uh, hard and non-sensitive. And so, therefore, it's so imperative that you learn some of these things. The first one was, and we just got started on it, resistance to his will. When you resist his will, when you pit your will against his will, then it causes great problems. Now, the husband, of course, needs to learn the whole matter of giving of himself and cherishing his wife and nourishing her. And even when she does resist his will, there is a very very uh, tough but oh so tender uh, uh, principle that a husband can use to, to bring his wife to a place of fulfilling her role as a submissive wife. We are especially having problems and increased problems in these days with this particular area. It used to be that at least in certain segments of his society... A woman would seldom contradict her husband. Uh, that is, she would seldom overtly and uh, uh, very frontally uh, uh, conflict with her husband, particularly in in public uh, or with other people. Uh, there, there, it, it of course behooves uh, us to learn from the women of the past, because there was much more stable home situation in that kind of a uh, circumstance. But in these days where there is so much being said about women's rights and all of the rest of it, uh, there, and the women's liberation movement and all of that, uh, there is an encouragement in nearly every segment of society for you to resist your husband's will. Even so that, uh, that uh, women are many times being counseled that if your husband doesn't shape, ship him out. Counselled not only in the secular circles, but in church circles. Now, it's not biblical, it's wrong, but nevertheless, that's the kind of pressure you're under these days. A marvelous thing, and I get excited about this. As, as much as I, I talk against it and certainly don't want to participate in it, I get excited about it. Because the darker the night, the, light, the, the more the, the light can shine. And uh, the, the marvelous thing that made the church have an impact upon its society, was when they were forced to be so different from the world that that everybody could tell the difference. And uh, remember Peter and James and John, the other uh, disciples on the day of Pentecost, were uh, confronted by the Pharisees and so on, and they said they must be drunk. They must be drunk. Why? Not not because they really were, but they'd never seen anybody quite that happy uh, who was not drunk. And uh, we had a guy come to a party one time uh, for some of our young couples. And uh, he said, I've never seen anybody having such a good time and no booze. He never seen anybody have a good time without booze you know he just couldn't understand that at all he couldn't understand the joy of the lord the intoxicating joy of the lord and the, the power of god's holy spirit the filling of the spirit and the speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and he saw a contrast all too often today because the world has been absorbed into society the church has been absorbed into the world society there is not the difference there is not the standard that is there it should be Because God's word has never changed, but there is not the contrast that there once was between the world and the church. And uh, the church is to be in the world, but the world is not to be in the church. And there's to be a contrast, and we're to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. And the marvelous thing, and the thing that excites me is that in this day where everybody is saying uh, women shouldn't, uh, uh, women have a right to resist their husband's will, women have a right to uh, uh, just uh, fight and and, uh, cause problems on these things, and they don't have to submit, and all of this, and while the world's saying that, and their standard is becoming more and more pronounced, it gives us a greater opportunity to be different and stand for that which is right in the midst of all of this. Now, it's for that reason that we share these things with you. And uh, we know that ultimately God's will or God's work is going to be accomplished as a result of people who are willing to do things God's way. So we made some suggestions to you. Um, we talked about the contrite heart, a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 34, uh, 18 says, my God will not despise. And what happens is that when the husband asserts his will, and you refuse to resist that will but rather yield to it trusting god for it then what happens is that you then have a broken and a contrite heart it is a contriteness that comes uh, you're not a contriteness comes and not because everything is going my way but because when things don't go my way allow god to hum- humble me god said that uh, that we are not to be proud we're not to be high-minded but rather we're to humble ourselves under the hand of God, and he will exalt us in due time. God's way up is down, and he'll bring circumstances and pressures upon you that seem to put you down. But when you get far enough down, then God will exalt us. But God also says he that exalts himself will be abased. So that means the harder you fight to get to the top, guess what? As soon as you get there, God says, I'm going to put you in the bottom. Now, that's an amazing thing. But God's way is not man's way. Man is upside down. And God says, you go down and you're going to go up. And you're going to be exalted. And you know that little chart that we've used with that passage in the book of James chapter 4 and so on. Where it talks about these steps of humility. When you yield to the other person's will, whether you think they're right or wrong. You yield to their will. What that is, is humility. Dependence upon God, which is the basic definition of humility. Humility is saying, "God, you know best." Humility is saying, "No, I won't assert myself." Uh, you can go to the bookstore and get 110 books on self-assertiveness. Uh, I've got a book in my library. that Says how to what you don't ask me why it's in my library. I was dumb enough to buy it. How to manipulate your husband. don't go out and buy it i don't recommend it all right i want to make that unmistakably clear how to manipulate your husband and there are many many books like this self-assertedness What is that it lends to pride it builds your pride up and don't mistake self-value self-worth for pride there's nothing wrong with realizing you're a real person that god can use and you should realize that god designed you for a specific purpose and your goal should be to find that purpose But one thing is certain, that you assert yourself and you are going to be abased. God promises you that. And he says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the more you're willing to humble yourself in the sight of God, the more grace he gives you. And what's grace? Grace, in that terminology, is the ability that Jesus Christ gives to a person when he's helpless to live the Christian life. God's grace being poured into your life so that God is able to allow you to will and to do of his good pleasure, to want to do his will and to accomplish that will. And God will give you the grace for all of that. Now, so we want to learn to be humbled under the hand of God. So then we talk to you about uh, understanding the biblical concept of headship, conducting your home within the framework of your husband's desires and wishes, uh, so that you build trust and confidence. It's so important that you just leave behind the attitude that whether dad is here or whether he's absent, that, there is, uh, that this is dad's will. My mother, I never can remember, though she probably did it sometimes, but I, I really can't recall my mother ever saying to us children, do that because I want you to do that. You know what she always said? do that, that's what your father wants. And my father was gone most of the time for 15 years. during the time From the time I was in the third grade right up through uh, my high school years, dad was in absentia. Now, he didn't leave his family and desert them. What he did was go out in evangelistic ministry. I wouldn't recommend it, but in our case, this is what God had for us, and it's not something that we would... Uh, expect probably today because of the increased travel but dad had to be away three months at a time uh, because most of the churches couldn't afford to give him much and uh, the travel expenses were great so he took the train back into north and south dakota and places like that and would just have a string of meetings and then he would come home for a few weeks and they would go out and do that again that was dad's life for 15 years and it was so important that we who were staying by the stuff understood the authority of that home and it was not mom's authority because as we got three boys you know as we got to be big strapping guys mom's authority didn't mean beans anymore but she always had dad's authority and we'd been trained with the idea what will your father say if he he finds out about this and we always had our day of reckoning and uh, dad would come home and it would be a very happy time we'd meet him at the train and And uh, he'd always brought us a little gift uh, that would just remember that particular trip. And he'd give it to us, and we'd come home, we'd have a good night's sleep, and the next day we'd have our sessions with Dad. And I think Mom and Dad sat up all night, and Mom filled him in. And there was nothing hidden. And everything was known. And Dad took care of all the discipline, for the most part. And uh, as a result, we understood authority. Now, if you build your home that way, amazing thing i i get in a lot of crazy experiences you know you you pastors have a way of doing this uh, i was uh had a talk to a woman one day and she she gave me a description of her husband and you know i pictured this great big hairy ape you know i mean you, you get this image in your mind and uh, and went right through the uh, the whole scene with her and and I boy, I'll tell you in your heart, you respond, and you could just see this cruel giant of a man, you know and then uh when when uh, uh he finally came uh, to see me, here he was, a little scrawny guy, very soft spoken, and all of this. It's unbelievable the image that can be conjured up in people's mind, and as it turns out, as you know we got to the bottom of the thing, the real problem was that he had tried for the first time in their marriage to put his foot down on something that he really believed was wrong. And here this wife got this image of this monster. And what he'd been doing, the mistake he'd made is, he'd been given in to her and everything all along the way. And when he finally resisted her on something, then he became a monster. But I, one of the best experiences I had was, was where uh, a friend of mine... Uh, a woman uh, talked with a wife, and she described her husband. And uh, she described, you know, he was, he was lord of the house, and and uh, he, he, he he such a good support of the family, and he he, he kept such a, uh, you know, ran such a tight ship, and and uh, all of this, and she was totally devoted to him, that she just worshipped him, and and uh, uh, so you know this gal got conjured up in her mind this Greek god from the description of this this woman you know she could just see him coming in on his white charger right into the living room you know this marvelous marvelous man she could hardly wait to meet him and when he walked in the door with his little lunch bucket <laughs> here he was you know scrawny little guy but she the woman just totally devoted to him you see it's not the It's not the dominant, uh, uh, powerful, well-built man that is necessarily the hero. The hero image of an individual is in the mind of the woman. And you see, if if you can grasp that and make your husband a hero in your own eyes, guess what? He will also be a hero in his children's eyes. My father is my hero. There's nobody in the world that I want to be more like than my father. He's one of the most godly men I know. But you know, I hardly saw him in my growing up years. My impression of my father is largely the way my mother saw my father. As far as I'm concerned, you know, he is the perfect example. And she is an ideal example of how a woman ought to view her husband. She described Dad to you right now. Stand in here and describe Dad. You would get a totally wrong idea, because Dad is is uh, uh, not uh, tall, dark, and handsome. But she thinks he is, and so do I. See, it's a marvelous, marvelous concept. And your children grow up with an image of their father, either a hero or a bum. And if you order your home around him, then you'll realize great success in your relationship. Another thing is carry out your husband's commands even when they seem trivial and unimportant. That is a part of calling him Lord, as Sarah did. Carry out your husband's commands even if they seem trivial and unimportant. Be innovative. Use your skills as a woman in being able to see the detail to put the package together. Make sure that everything that you do points toward the overall commitment that the husband that the husband is concerned about. remember the mitzvah and torah principle all right mitzvah is the over uh, uh, the torah or mitzvah is the overall principle the commandment uh, Torah is the law, and what happens is that the overall commitment to something uh, the husband uh, the husband wants uh, Uh, an orderly house as an example. Let's just say that that's that's a priority that the husband has, that it disturbs him to come home and find a disorganized house. Well, then you see the woman has all of these little details that she gives to the children and gives to herself in order to keep that orderly house. By the way, can I just say this for what it's worth? An orderly house is far more important contribution to marital bliss than any woman ever realizes. You know, there's an interesting story. There was a famous trial lawyer in Chicago. He never, in all of his career, lost a case. It was some kind of record. And someone asked, what was his secret? And he says, it's really a very simple thing. He said, I go As soon as I take the case, I go to the opposing lawyer or the opposing prosecuting attorney or whatever. He says, I come unannounced and ask for a minute of his time. And when I get the minute of his time, I go into his office and I spend that minute looking at his desk, talking to him briefly about some trivial thing, but looking at his desk. He says, if the desk is orderly, then I know I have to go back and really do my homework and work hard, and I spend the majority amount of time on those kind of cases. If his desk is messy, I've got him. I don't even have to work at it. And he said, that's the principle on which I've based all of my cases. An orderly desk means a a logical thinking mind and he says, I know that in such a circumstance that I have to work extra hard. And so since I concentrate my attention on those cases, I have victory in those. And with the others, I don't have to spend any time. Because I know that the man's going to be disorganized in his mind because he's disorganized in his, on his desk. Now, the same thing is true in a marriage. That's why it's so important that you keep a clean house may just seem like a trivial thing. The woman in Proverbs 31 kept a clean house. She was a busy woman, a lot of activities going, but she kept an orderly house. She had to rise a great while before day in order to accomplish it, because her priorities were clear. And she would not accomplish these other things that were a part of her home-related business activity. She would not accomplish those things until she had provided for her family. And her husband rise up, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and says, uh, there, that ma- there are many women, but you excel them all. I'll tell you, that husband is proud of that woman. A husband should be able to bring a business associate home at a moment's notice and find a clean house. You say, but the kids have a mess all over the place. There's where you need to learn to carry out your husband's wishes. Teach the children how important it is. For the serenity of the home to keep clean house. And don't allow them to be messy. Because you do, and they're going to give their wife fits after they get married. And they're they're going to give their husbands fits if they happen to be a woman. Another thing is, never contradict him in front of the children. Praise him in front of the children. Don't contradict him in front of the children. If you don't agree with him, talk to him. Communicate with him but do it in a a different uh, atmosphere other than in the family forum. Pray for your husband and ask God to work through him to make you the woman you ought to be. Just simply pray, not saying to your husband, I am going to have my way. If you don't like it, bang, you know, but rather pray that your husband will have a real ministry and even through uh, his will, even through mistakes, that, you will, that God will use that husband to build in you the character of Jesus Christ. You see, I, I get so disturbed with this. We are in an age where there's so much phoniness. We are caught in a, we are caught in a syndrome today of personal happiness. Why do you want to do thus and so? Because it makes me happy. Who ever said that the ultimate goal of life is to make you happy? You've been sold a bill of goods. And it hasn't helped to have all of this uh, psycho, uh, psychoanalysis and all of the rest of it that is based on a humanistic philosophy of life. Because the humanists basically say that, you know, you die like a dog anyway, so you've got to get all you can out of life. You've got to grab it now, anything that will satisfy you. And the the whole uh, uh bit of uh of do your thing, let it all hang out, and all of this kind of thing. Because after all, you've got to grab this happiness. God promises in his presence this fullness of joy, his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're to live for eternity. And we reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be hereafter. Life was never intended primarily to be happy. Now you can choose happiness and there are things that will make you happy, and Christ promised that when he used the word makarios in the Sermon on the Mount. But the the happiness promised there, you remember, happy are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, happy are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, happy are those... And it, it talks about that tremendous happiness that comes as an inner emotion when a person is right with God. But the world's happiness is an exterior thing. It's a, it's a feeling... I feel happy or I don't feel happy. Or if I do that, it'll make me happy. A woman wrote back from a trip. She says, everything pleases me and I am happy. All right? If everything pleases you, sure you're going to, at the moment, be happy. At least uh, feel happy. But I'll tell you this, it's short-lived. You're not going to have it for long. Real happiness comes by commitment to God. But you see, people live for happiness, and they, they take that short look and get it now type of attitude rather than taking the long look. Even if you suffer at the hand of a husband who does things that are wrong, though you may not be happy at the moment, you submit to him because God says it's right. And I can even remember as a young man, and some of you with gray hairs probably remember better than I, a day where people knew that to do right and forfeit happiness as a result was the thing to do. Because right is right, and happiness happens. And if you do the thing that is right, ultimate happiness may be yours. So people would deny their own happiness in order to do the thing that was right. I think of this fellow the other day that found the money, you know, and he gave it back. Not because the money couldn't have made him happy, I'm sure it could have, but because it was right. I'll tell you, he's a rare breed. And there were a bunch of people that were on a talk show and talking about this incident, and most of them said, I wouldn't have given the money back. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And they were going to keep it because it would make them happy. And it was something that they wanted to rip off the large corporations anyway. Personal happiness as a God is wrong. Righteousness is the thing that God wants us to have. Do the thing that is right. So therefore, you should be praying not that your husband will make you happy, but God will use your husband to build qualities of character and maturity and Christ-likeness in you. What a difference that makes. Then encourage your husband. We want to learn what it is to give him encouragement, give him praise. The woman of Proverbs 31 did that as well. Take as seriously the responsibility of keeping the home as you would an outside job. You're to be a keeper at home. To be eligible for the widow indeed. You should be one who is willing uh, to keep your house well and the absentee mothers today break your heart. There's no way that we can exaggerate the problems that are being created today by the fact that children are being raised by substitute parents. No substitute parents can have the mothering instinct that you can have for your own child. And to be away from the home all of the time is just not the solution, the answer. The income that you get, by the way, really isn't all that great. And there are figures and facts. An accountant and uh, attorney, accountant and attorney in uh, uh, Chicago, figured out um, all of the details concerning uh, the the wife's income. And uh, considering that she's got children at home that need care, she actually is costing her husband money when he when she works. Actually, costing her husband money rather than bringing money into the family. I had somebody tell me the other day, they, they they were sharing with me, they said, you know, I sat down and figured out my taxes. And he said, I realized that we've been caught in a trap. And the trap is this. He says, when I figured my taxes, I found out that my wife, my wife's working, is actually costing me money. He said, the problem is that we her working gives us ready cash. Right at the moment. And the momentary thing, uh, she brings in this money, which in this case uh, was needed uh, to put their child through school. And uh, he said that her income comes in and we immediately have that cash money so that we can pay the school bills. But he says, now at the end of the year, I figure it all up. And I find out that we're in the hole as a result of her working because of the tax considerations the higher tax bracket because of the costs of her transportation the costs of her clothes and all of the rest and i showed him this other study that this man had made and he said that's our picture exactly but he says we've gotten ourselves trapped into it because we told ourselves we needed x number of dollars to accomplish this this goal that we had and yet all the time we're actually throwing money down the tube. Of course, if you want to work and support your government, go right ahead. You know, that's great, because that's where a great deal of it goes. And so be very, very careful in this regard. One of the greatest things to me, and there's one reason we have Workshop 31. We have women in this church who are bringing in more real income. Into their family. When I say real income, they're doing what they're doing without incurring all of these outside expenses of babysitters, transportation, uh, all of the rest. They're learning home-related activities, and they are they are able to bring income into the home by using their skills. And using those skills, they are able to stay home, and minister to the family, and do all the things that are necessary. And then, in spare time work these other things out that bring income into the home ceramics and uh... things of this nature and they're able to be good wives good mothers and yet at the same time like the woman of uh, proverbs thirty-one good businesswomen. And so you need to understand that it's not wrong to bring income my wife has taught piano lessons in our home um, on a number of occasions she teaches more sometimes than she does others uh... because uh her time factor is uh, very, very limited, particularly in these days, her priority is not teaching piano lessons, it's the ministry of the word. And so the piano lessons take a back seat. But there have been times in our experience where we have had, uh, had needs and she's been able to help meet those needs by teaching piano lessons. And the income is small enough that she's able to, to uh, you know, the tax fi- the tax factor isn't much, and there's no expenses to speak of involved except the tuning of the piano each year. Other than that, you know, it's great. And uh, that that's perfectly legitimate, but she's able to be a good wife and a good mother. I have no doubt in my mind that many of you women could be efficient executives and probably better executives in the business world than most of your husbands. I have no doubt about that your skill as a woman god-given is tremendous your ability to see detail your ability to analyze your sensitivity to the spirit of people these are gifts that a woman has because she's a woman and that's why women are so successful in these fields and you know they're getting to the place now where they're paying them what they're worth almost because they're really doing a great job I want to tell you something. It's a prostitution of those abilities. Do you know why God gave you all those abilities? Not so you can go out and get involved in material things. He gave you all those abilities so that you can have the best run home in town. And Christian women ought to concentrate and focus upon actually having a home that is run so efficiently that others will see it and wonder at what you've accomplished. How do you maintain the schedule that you do and keep such an orderly house and fix such delicious meals for your families and have a ministry of hospitality to others? See, one of the qualifications, by the way, you ought to really get acquainted with the qualifications for the widow indeed. The widow indeed was one that was, was worthy of church support when she reached the age of 60. The church assumed the responsibility for that widow. But she did not just at 60 say, here I am, folks. There were qualifications. And you know one of the qualifications? That she be given to hospitality. She entertains strangers. That she bring up her children well. That she keep an orderly house. These are things that are involved in her life, in her ministry. And then she, of course, can be helped and encouraged and given ministry in the local church as well. The widow indeed held a, an important place in the ministry of the local church. But she wasn't qualified for church support unless she had accomplished these things over the time of her life, from the time of her widowhood. Anna was a widow that of 84 years and here she was in the in the house of the lord ministering night and day tremendous example of a godly widow and the church picks up on that and has a responsibility to care for these widows but their ministry is based upon those kind of things you better get in practice now you never know you might be a widow someday get busy Learn those things and begin building them into into your life and experience so that you'll be ready to do them overtly as a widow in time to come. So use the opportunity you have to make your home a showplace for God. Now, I want to say something else on that if I can while I'm talking about it. Bitterness in a person's heart is often a cause for a messy house. But I want to say something else on the other side. A fastidious house where you don't allow people to live in it can also be a sign of bitterness. And when there's deep bitterness in the heart of a woman, some women are fastidious by nature. And so the way she takes out her bitterness and her, her vents her wrath is by saying, uh, I'm not going to allow anybody in uh, this room, or I'm not going to allow anybody to be in the house unless they take their shoes off outside, or uh, something of this nature. Just keep in mind that that either way, it is wrong. You should have a house that's lived in, a house that's comfortable, a house that can be used. But don't be selfish or possessive about your house. Use it for the glory of God. We had a dear friend that now is in the ministry that made the statement one day when asked to have a a child evangelism good news club in her home. She says, no way. I'm not going to have any of those brats running on our hardwood floors. That was her attitude. Boy, God had to break her on that one. And God, God had given her a nature to be fastidious. She kept a fastidious house, but she was a bitter woman she came in after the good news clubs because she eventually had them had to scrub those hardwood floors and get the heel marks off and all of the rest those were the days when most people had hardwood floors and not carpets you can see how old I am but she had to scrub those things over and over again but she did it with joy because she would lost her bitterness so don't think that just because you have a fastidious house that you're free from uh, an exposure of the bitterness of the heart there's another reason though for having a uh, a house that's messy and that is sometimes it's a uh, pass down from generation to generation. Somewhere in the line there was a bitter woman who just out of spite kept a dirty house and her, her girls learned from her and then their girls learned from her and on down the line and it's just a generational thing uh, where generation after generation it deteriorated and women have uh, dirty homes. You want to keep your home, recognizing that that home is really a place of ministry. And it's a ministry, first of all, to your husband, to your children, and then to others in the community as well. Number eight, make your home attractive, your meals delicious, and yourself beautiful. This is done in deference to your husband there are a lot of women that kind of use these things as uh, as as sort of a wedge if I don't get my own way I'm not going to clean the house if I don't get my way I'm not going to cook the meals or I'm not going to have attractive meals nice meals I'm not going to keep myself nice because after all my husband is resisting me now that's anarchy whenever there's anarchy there's loss of production and God wants you to be productive. He wants your home to be a place that glorifies His name. Let God build the house the way He wants to by building qualities of character into you. Your your home should be attractive. You should keep it just as clean as you possibly can. As we said already, put as much effort into it as you would in an outside job. Your meals. You know, we made quite a thing in the uh, or mentioned it, I guess, and it became quite a thing, quite a joke around here about uh, uh, cooking food from scratch. Uh, some of you have heard about that. It was in this uh, set of lessons that we gave you uh, that we started talking about that. I really didn't mention it all that much, uh, but it just became sort of a standing joke uh, because uh, so often the instant pudding routine uh, is the thing that is, is the order of the day because it's simple, it's easy, and because women, particularly the modern woman, doesn't really want to put forth effort in regard to some of these things. A husband deeply appreciates when his wife goes to a great deal of trouble to fix something nice. And he may not say anything. But you know, uh, in fact, really you can expect uh, husbands have to be taught a little culture. They really are a little boorish sometimes, and a husband, you know, when you have candlelights and silver, a husband will come in and say, "Good night. It's too dark to see what this is." You know, maybe they'll make a nice crack like, uh, uh, "What'd you do? Burn the food?" So you don't want me to see it, or something like that. Don't let that deter you. They, these, these men need to be taught a little bit, a little touch of class. And over a period of time, he can grow used to the fact that, that there is a, uh, there is a uh, something special that you can do from time to time to show him you love him. And I would just flat out tell him, Honey, this is one way that I can share with you how much I love you. Bake a cake from scratch. Not all the time, maybe, but now and then. A man really appreciates the, the tremendous quality of of the food uh, when it's done with tender loving care and not Betty Crocker. Now, Betty Crocker doesn't love your husband, so why should he grow up in his marriage admiring Betty Crocker and her skills? Let him admire you and really share with him some wonderful things. Now, don't cook him something he doesn't like, something he doesn't want. Some of you heard about, we had a the birthday party at our house The other night, for the people in our church that had had birthdays in those two months, and the next day after was my birthday. And uh, some of the people that help us in that uh, hospitality effort um, got their heads together and went out, and they got a a, uh, cauliflower, knowing that that's the only thing I won't eat. And they got a cauliflower and put chocolate frosting on it and a candle came out and sang happy birthday to me you know now don't do that with your husband i mean (laughs) fine for them to do it but my wife had done it i don't know but anyway then the next night i went out to celebrate my birthday with my family and my son and his girlfriend and my wife and after the meal i ordered mud pie and the waiter came and sat down in front of me that same cauliflower it's done the rounds now. We had them throw it away at the restaurant. But <laughs> in any event, you know, I would not really consider it a, a compliment to me and a sign of my wife's love if she cooked me a nice meal of cauliflower. Because cauliflower makes me ill. I get sick on it. And uh, I have to laugh at her, you know, because uh, she gets sick on fresh mushrooms. And uh, she uh, laughs at me because I get sick on cauliflower, but and tell her, see, you get sick too. She, uh, when she eats them, she uh, begins to really feel nauseated, and that's what happens to me at cauliflower. And uh, I could eat I eat Brussels sprouts and cabbage and everything else, uh, but a cauliflower somehow, it doesn't click. And so if she cooked me cauliflower, I wouldn't think that that was so great. You see? So you find out, the way to a man's heart is to his stomach, you find out what your husband likes, and cater to him a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. And give him some of those meals that are special. But cook them with an extra flair. If you find out that, you know, he doesn't like mushrooms in in his spaghetti, then remove the mushrooms and use something else. But, But, and keep experimenting. But make it creative. And make the meals extra delicious. Why? Because that is a sign of your own humility. Your willingness to give deference to him. And your willingness, if you please, to... Uh, show that you have a purpose of pleasing him instead of resisting his will get in the habit of doing that kind of thing and then keep yourself beautiful women let themselves go particularly around the house they've got all these things to do and believe me you are busy women if you're keeping a good house and cooking meals from scratch and all of that you need to learn and for goodness sakes take my wife's class and learn how to schedule your activities so that that last half hour before your husband comes you can freshen up and get yourself looking attractive all day long he has been with women who are climbing the executive ladder either as an executive or as a secretary all around him in his office and have made themselves as attractive as they can possibly be and many of them have their eyes set on him because he's a nice man and good men are hard to find see that article in san jose mercury news women are saying good men are hard to find i don't know what they consider a good man anymore but uh, in any event they're they're having a hard time finding men like and here's a man is clean living and and all of the rest of it and, and uh, he's very kind and uh, at least at the office and uh, and, and here she is, you know. And she's made herself attractive. What happens? He comes home and his wife looks like, you know, she's, she could care less. And uh, nags at him and resists him and all of the rest. You see that, I've said this before, you've heard me share this, but, but get it in your mind. This, the office situation is an ideal situation for romantic feelings and the reason is because the man is in charge and the woman is submissive and the woman if she values her job will continue to be submissive so he says a cup of coffee please she says fine she brings in the coffee with sugar and cream you know all fixed just the way he likes it she's learned she studied him she knows what he wants And so she does this. And you see, if he's got hassles at home, she's going to be the logical person that he'll go to and say, why don't you have lunch with me today? I really been having problems at home and begins to share and she sees her opportunity and it isn't long and romance buds. Now, once she marries him, then she doesn't submit to him anymore and there's another problem, you know. But I mean, this is the thing that that happens time after time. And uh, I deal with it all the time. Women coming to me, my husband's gone out with his secretary and so on and so forth. So I immediately say, well, you know, your husband's not here right now, let's talk about you. How do you look when he comes home? Well, I you know, I've been busy all day. Kind of doing... Are you fixing attractive meals? You put that extra flair in or just open a TV dinner? Well, TV dinners, because after all, I've, I've been going to church, Bible classes. How many how many Bible classes? Well, uh, two a day, five days a week. <laughs> you know? I'm so busy for the Lord, I don't have time to comb my hair. You know? Whew! Terrible. But you have it all the time. If you don't think so, I, you know, I could give you my log. I wouldn't want to because names and addresses and phone numbers are on there and you'd know some of the people involved, you know? I'll tell you. These are crucial days where women need to be women and need to to use their femininity in a way that pleases God. So vital, so important. Here's another one. Learn how to apply scriptural principles to meet the basic needs as they arise. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14 says this. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babbling. For they will increase unto more godliness, more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a gangrene, of whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. There are things happening all around us that would detract from God's purpose. Now in this case, Hymenaeus and Philetus had gotten into a false doctrine concerning the resurrection. There are many other false doctrines abounding today. The principle is the same. Study. The word study means to be diligent. It means diligence. It does not mean to take a book and study it. But rather to be diligent. To show yourself approved unto God. To be the kind of servant that God wants you to be. There are three questions that should be asked. In terms of a person's life and the terms of his ministry as far as that goes first of all is the Lord well pleased have you ever gone through scripture and just found the specific things that God says please him do it sometime learn what pleases God one thing that pleases God is that you be the wife that God wants you to be when you have a meek and quiet spirit this is in the sight of God of great price is the Lord well pleased? The second thing is, is the work well done? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Is the work well done? And the third thing is, is the word well used? The word of God is to be cut straight. And you are to know it, you are to live it, and you are to share it. But I want to share with you, my friends, today, it is so important That you begin to see scriptural priorities and live in accordance with those priorities. So learn how to take God's word, and as needs arise, apply God's word to them. James chapter one verse five says, "If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him." There's one more. Learn from God's word. The excitement that you have, potentially, in your role as a woman. I want to share something with you that just, and close it off here, you can turn to passages like Proverbs 31, 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 5, Titus 2. These passages will really give you a perspective on how exciting it is to be a woman. But I want to, I want to tell you, I really get disgusted today in hearing all of this garbage about the women's limb and all of the rest. And people trying to make women to be more like men, more dominant, more aggressive, uh, less feminine, less mystique to them. Uh, So many, many things that, that are happening today. The whole unisex idea. It's ridiculous. But you know something? As I go to God's word, I get so excited about the role of of a woman and the power of a woman and the influence of a woman and the ministry of a woman god didn't hold an election as to who would be in charge the man or the woman he made a sovereign choice not because the man is better not because he's more intelligent not because he's more sensitive But he gave him a leadership role, creating him first and giving him that responsibility. And then, seeing deficiencies in the man, filled all of the gaps with the woman. And the man is like Swiss cheese until God brings that right woman into his life. And then the holes are plugged, and he's complete. I look back on my days before Gloria. B.G., Now, I'll tell you something. If God hadn't given me her, I hate to think, I shudder to think, where I'd be today. She has been the greatest asset to my ministry. In a quiet way, underneath, behind the scenes, she has contributed. And in each case, wherever we have gone and wherever we have ministered, looking back on it, she's been the key to the ministry. Now you see, a lot of people look at me, you know, and they, they don't see the, the, the blundering and yet shy kid that's behind this face. And not, not very many people realize that it was Gloria's encouragement and Gloria's challenge that gave me nerve enough to even attempt what I'm doing in these days. Because one thing for certain is I, though I love to study God's word, I'm afraid to stand from people. And that's just the way I am naturally. But you know, all along the way, she has been the encouragement. She's been the one that has made the ministry that we have had from the human standpoint successful. Now, you know, the amazing thing about it is that she has been benefited from that. It's been to her advantage. But you see, she's made this tremendous contribution that is in a way that fulfills her role as a woman and gives her great satisfaction. And expands her ministries. But it also fulfills me. And then allows me and frees me to be of ministry to others. And so, you know, whenever you thank God for anything that may have been accomplished in your life through my ministry, don't forget to thank God for Gloria. Because I wouldn't be standing in front of you today if it wasn't for her. And I don't know where I'd be and I'll tell you this I'll guarantee I'd be a flop I'd be like Swiss cheese because I had all kinds of holes that she has plugged that has made me effective for God to the degree that I'm effective and God does that in every situation he made man from the dust of the earth and you know what really the idea is he tossed him together Now, it doesn't mean he wasn't designed. He was intricately designed. But the word is that which was used in terms of of the creation of all of the other creatures. He took took the dust of the earth, just like he took the darkness and separated it from the light, and said, let there be light, and there was light, and all of that, just with a word, cast it out there. He made man the same way. You know what he did when he made woman? He designed her to specifications. It's an architectural term. He built her, designed her. He sat down, if you can use this in your imagination, using uh, the uh, anthropomorphic terms, he sat down and he drew up a blueprint. He looked at Adam and he said, here's a need, here's a need, here's a need, here's a need, here's a need. And he designed her. Built her to specifications is the word that is used. You are special. But whenever you get out of your role, then you see you begin to rub rather than meld together with your husband. And the result is, he is frustrated, you are frustrated, the marriage is put in jeopardy, and God is dishonored. That's why it's so important that you be a woman of God willing to have a meek and quiet spirit, a humble heart, a contrite heart. And that is the reason why you don't want to resist your husband's will. He'll be wrong, but God did not give you that responsibility. And being a man, as Betty Elliot says, being a man is not, and being a leader in the church and being the head of the home and all of that, is not based on a man's qualifications in terms of his ability, but rather is a mantle of responsibility. It's not a, I think Betty Elliot puts it this way, it's not a badge of honor. It's a mantle of responsibility. God gives him that responsibility, gives you your responsibility. Thank God you're a woman. Because he made you special to fulfill needs where no one else can. And that's why, that's another reason you see why it's so important that you walk with God and by His Spirit obey His will. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, you've challenged each one of us to be the kind of woman you've designed us to be. Oh Lord, help us not to rub against your will. Help us not to fight you. Help us to obey you and to want to serve you with our whole heart, and help us to serve our husbands and our family too. Thank you for this day that you've given us, and bless each lady this week, Lord, as she goes into her own situation. Help her, Lord, to be your woman. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes this message. Please fast-forward this tape. Thank you.